0: Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashwin, and today we are talking about Horror of Dracula from 1958, sometimes also simply titled Dracula. It's directed by Terence Fisher, written by Jimmy Sangster, starring Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Melissa Stribling, and Michael Goh. In this film, based on Bram Stoker's Dracula, Van Helsing tries to track and thwart Count Dracula, who is wreaking havoc upon Jonathan Harker's loved ones. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk spoiler-free about this movie for the first 15 or 20 minutes. But after we play some transition music, we're getting into spoiler territory, at which point we will walk through the plot and review the film in detail. Uh, this is our second Hammer horror film, Ashwin. So I assume this is probably the second one you've seen, right? We did The Curse of Frankenstein years right. back.
1: Right. And that one came out before this one, right?
0: Yeah, that one came out in 1957. Mm-hmm. It is one of our least listened to episodes. So here I am. <laughs> here I am again, bringing the listeners with my choice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, why do you like movies from the 50s? I don't necessarily
0: like or dislike movies from the 50s but i just feel like it is necessary perhaps as a fan but certainly necessary as podcast hosts for us to you know get familiar with the history of horror and hammer horror is integral to that in the 50s and 60s they were cranking out monster movies they kind of revived uh, gothic horror and monster films after universal kind of let their classic monsters go by the wayside when things started to fizzle out and uh, people were no longer interested. This was like the revival of Frankenstein and Dracula and all the classic monsters. Sure, They were worldwide uh, classics and I I think it's important for us to at least experience a few of them and, and cover a few on the show.
1: Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, I, I kind of feel like that's like a paragraph you read and you acknowledge that Hammer Studios was this production company that brought this back to your point. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it means you have to go back and actually watch them. But then I remember you're the guy who took like film classes at uh, in colleges and, and did, did kind of film history stuff, right?
0: No, I didn't. I've never taken a film class or anything.
1: Oh, no kidding. Really? No, no. Oh, huh that must have been someone else then all right never mind oh man that that, That other guy you do a podcast with yeah that makes us even more bizarre that was was the only reason i could be like that's why brian fixed us because he's one of those dudes who like took a class once on film or something uh well yeah that that even boggles my mind more than but uh yeah i mean how far back can you go i mean we we did uh nosferatu right uh and that was 30s 20s 30s
0: Uh, Nosferatu's in 20s. I think that's 1922, I want to say. So yeah, that is far and away our oldest episode. We've done a few from the 50s. We did Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I think was 1954. Our second episode ever was House on a Haunted Hill. I want to say that's 59.
1: Mm. Yeah, right,
0: right. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool to go far back every once in a while. You got stuff like Freaks, uh, from the '30s, oh that yeah, could be valuable to cover, like the Universal horror films in the '30s. Yeah, but I know the listeners aren't clamoring for the uh, <laughs> m- anything pre-19 mid, uh, probably 1970s. So yeah, uh, thanks for those of you that have tuned in. I feel like the diehards. I think we've got two classes of film fans, horror movie fans. We've got people who are, you know checking out the big episodes and saying oh i'll get around to watching some of the other ones they cover um maybe i will maybe i won't then we've also got people who are you know watching these movies because we're covering them which is Mm. something i never really thought would happen yeah here we are and we have people who are like extremely well versed in horror movies no way more than we ever will Mm -hmm. and they're itchy for us to cover more I'm tempted to call it arcane stuff, but that's not the right word, more, uh, less mainstream modern stuff. I mean, this was very mainstream at the time,
1: but nowadays people yeah. aren't watching it in droves. Yeah. I'd be curious. Cause I, I feel like this almost falls into a category of like you're, you're an academic or something. And that's why you're going back this far. Most like horror nerds that I know based on like the population of like the three that I know, uh, like I think they're horror nerds cause they like movies from like the seventies or eighties. Uh, going, yeah. going back this far, I feel like is getting to academic or like historian ther- uh, territory.
0: Sure. I think there is a little bit of an academic element to it. Yeah. I And we've gotten this deep into things. So yeah, I, I think that part of my brain is a bit more curious.
1: Okay. And you sure you never took a class on film? I'm sure I never Classic took a class. Film.
0: Also, I just, you know, I've got a few books on horror movies and mm. and these often get brought up in literature and Fangoria, Bloody Disgusting, various books. So yeah. You keep hearing the thing's name dropped enough times you want to go check them out.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, and this is like a cultural icon. And you're right, like this is such a famous studio and the work they did had a pretty big impact and influence on the rest of horror. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: Universal Films were doing stuff like that. I think, I want to say they started, maybe it wasn't their start, but I feel like Universal's big one was uh, Frankenstein from 1931. But I don't know, maybe they're, Yeah, I want to say that was their big one but then from my understanding was those kind of fizzled out once they started doing like Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein (laughs) Yeah, there's certain film theorists who say once you start bringing comedy into the mix of a subgenre that's kind of the end of that cycle of films (laughs) and I think it, it stood to be true for Universal in the mid to late 40s and those type of movies started dying out and then Ten years later, Hammer kind of brought
1: things back. That's interesting. So it's almost uh, comedy, and like uh, the self-awareness of it leads to like the destruction of a genre potentially, or just
0: that's what I've heard theorized. Specifically, I think on Colors of the Dark, Mm -hmm. Um, Doctor Rebecca McHenry was talking about that with one of her co-hosts.
1: Yeah, it kind of makes me think about like late '90s and. Yeah, maybe like the slasher genre, like in the in the nineties and stuff, where it started to get kind of campy and uh, more comedic, purposefully, and that kind of like caused it to quiet down for a bit before the recent resurgence. So yeah, maybe there's something to that. Sure. Yeah,
0: and I feel like I always thought when she said the end of a cycle, I thought "Mm, I don't know if I see that in all cases, but if you can consider the end of a cycle even just for a few years until somebody picks up the mantle again, then yeah, I think it probably is true.
1: Sure. Yeah. It seems like nothing goes away forever, right? It just kind of pauses. Right. Right. It all comes back eventually. Yep. Yeah. Um, So yeah,
0: Uh, like we said, the curse of Frankenstein from 1957, I think really put Hammer on the map. Uh, There was also this movie in 1958 the mummy in 1959 and the curse of the werewolf in 1961 um which starred oliver reed he was the doctor from the brood you remember him
1: oh yeah right yeah he's 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 a big character in there
0: yeah he's also the dad from burnt offerings so it was just interesting to me because i never realized his uh career in horror started with hammer i didn't realize it went back that far
1: yeah crazy i mean both of the leads here like have decades of work so uh yeah, kind of crazy to see these names. Like it's still around decades later,
0: yeah. I mean, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were the faces of Hammer Horror. They were in, I think, over twenty films together and became close friends. Uh, and and they had so many recurring roles in in these films that became franchises. Like Peter Cushing stars as Van Helsing in this movie. I think he's in five films alone as as van helsing in this franchise so right then he would have gone um, to be like sherlock holmes i think and then yep he's, he's in, yeah he became sherlock holmes Star he's Trek. uh he is dr frankenstein in the frankenstein franchise so yeah pretty good yeah. actors yeah uh this, christopher lee might be more recognizable to some people as
1: saruman from lord of the rings oh man i went down an embarrassing uh Trail of thought where I was convinced Christopher Lee was the guy in Knives Out. <laughs> who, who, uh, you know, the guy in the beginning? Oh. <laughs> I guess that's Christopher Plummer, which I don't know, man. Like, close enough, right? <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, same first name. Yeah. Basically <laughs> same guy. Yeah, similar, uh, yeah, people. Yeah. But yeah, he, he did a lot there. Um, so yeah, t- yeah, Terence
0: Fisher or not Terence Fisher. <laughs> uh Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were in a ton of these, but Terence Fisher also directed a ton of these. Jimmy F- Jimmy Sangster wrote a ton of these movies. Yeah. Fisher directed The Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy, The Curse of the Werewolf, The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll and The Phantom of the Opera among others. And Jimmy Sangster penned The Revenge of Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy and a few other sequels to these movies actually i think he penned the curse of frankenstein and the revenge of frankenstein if i'm i might be getting that wrong but yeah suffice to say sangster and fisher were the dynamic duo as far as the creative force for hammer yeah
1: that's crazy that like these two dudes were like the main people like putting out the movies through hammer and that like have become so uh, iconic that's yeah that's that's a lot a lot of responsibility there it's just cool to think about
0: how a a certain like individual like nothing is done without a team you know as yeah I think a lot of people like to talk about like auteur theory when it comes to movies and stuff but I feel like everything's done as a team but at the same time there are certain individuals who just single-handedly
1: change history it's kind of wild yeah like me on on this podcast pretty much
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking yeah. of
1: you when I said that. Yeah, yeah. History's changing. I'm trying to be like, we are, remind <laughs> you that we're a team. We're a team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good, good plug there for us. <laughs> uh, this um, wasn't the first uh, Dracula movie though, right? It, it sounds like there were, yeah, there's no Sparazzi, but there's also like a, a Dracula, a movie called Dracula and stuff uh, before this. Yeah, yeah. Universal
0: had their Dracula, um, played the by 30s. Bela Lugosi. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and Nosferatu I think was probably the first on-screen depiction of Dracula as he appeared in the novel. And if you remember back from our episode on that, there were some lawsuits because that was like an unofficial reimagining of Bram Stoker's Dracula without any permission or obtaining of the rights. Right, right. Um, Yeah, and Hammer... As you can probably tell by some of the titles of their films, they were big on adapting uh, literary horror to the big screen. Like this was base, based off Stoker's novel. Frankenstein's obviously based on Mary Shelley's novel. Jack, Dr. Jekyll based on Robert Louis Stevenson's. And Phantom of the Opera was a French novel um, from 1910. So I, I think they were pretty successful at taking internet or intellectual property and, and putting it on the big screen and making a big production out of it and it's interesting to read about things at the time because it,
1: it was so shocking for yeah. people at the time, right? I know that's it's, it's really funny to read about that stuff. Like, what was shocking back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's like like the blood and effects here. I think part of it was that color
0: was still so new. So to see yeah. blood in color, I
1: think probably made things even more shocking. I know really puts things in perspective. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, and, and, and have you, you've read the 1897 book, haven't you? Yes. And it's great. It is really, it holds up. It holds up. Yeah. Okay, cool. I would, I would suggest you read it. I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, and it sounds like, uh, this movie, uh, it just made like a few minor changes, but like plot wise was like pretty heavily influenced or, or follows the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to say it's not it's not taken from the book, but they do they do change quite a few things. Okay. Yeah. But the characters are all the same; they're just kind of rearranged
1: a bit and play slightly different roles. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll give it a read. Is is it a big one? Um, I
0: don't think it's huge. I, f- I feel like it's a nice middle size. It, it reads surprisingly quickly and easily for a novel written at that time Oh, okay. um, it's got this really nice classic literature feel that i enjoy but it also is su- surprising easy read and, and paced well it's not like
1: dense and hard to get through cool and you read it for that film cinema class you took in college, <laughs> yes, yep, I knew it. That I, that I famously took. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I knew to get you on that one. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah,
0: a uh, good beach read or something. Okay. The uh, this film had eight sequels. Uh, there's the Bride of Brides of Dracula in 1960, Dracula Prince of Darkness in 66, Dracula is Risen from the Grave in 68, Taste the Blood of Dracula in 1970. Scars of Dracula in 1970, Dracula A.D. 1972, The Satanic Rites of Dracula from 1973, and The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires in 1974. All Hammer Studios? All Hammer Studios, and that takes us up around until the uh, death knell of Hammer Studios, or at least the long slumber of Hammer Studios. They kind of stopped making movies in the mid to late 70s, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. I- um, I'm I'm amazed uh, they came back and like the movies that they've come back with, like they, they seem so off of like what they were doing back then. Like the Lodge is is as a Hammer film. Yeah, that's, right. Yeah, that's like so. Uh, yeah, it's, they're like in such different territory now. But I guess I guess you have to evolve as a studio.
0: Yeah, there yeah. is one that I'm like oh, that kind of actually fits with Hammer a little bit. It was um, the one with Daniel Radcliffe. Um, oh, the woman in, woman black. in black.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a little gothic. Okay. I don't think I've seen that one. The so check that. Oh, that was pretty fun. Yeah. It takes place in like the eighteen hundreds or something.
0: Uh I, I believe so. Okay. Cool. Um so yeah, uh let's see. Christopher Lee, pretty iconic for his role in Dracula here. Empire magazine proclaimed his character the seventh greatest horror character of all time. He played Dracula seven times total. Wow. Uh, but it doesn't sound like he was super happy with the role after this first movie. He doesn't have many lines in the sequels and it sounds like he never really thought the scripts were very strong, which we yeah. can probably discuss in our review of this one.
1: Yeah. Really interesting to see his, uh, reactions to like being a part of this franchise and, uh, kind of makes you, uh, respect like what he brought to Dracula. It seems like a lot of that was his idea almost. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. He thought a lot about what he wanted to bring to it. I think he wanted to bring a lot of like sexuality to it, (laughs) which you don't really think about watching this at the time. But again, I think it's like with the blood. It's, yeah, (laughs) it seems more shocking and apparent
1: in 1958 than it does now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious, uh, the book in 1897 and, and that Dracula that's portrayed in the book. Yeah. It sounds like Christopher Lee was like all about making him like erotic and like sexy and like, uh, alluring to women. Um, was that, is that like what you r- recall from the book? Is that true to like how Bram Stoker r- wrote this character? No,
0: I recall Bram Stoker writing him as a bit more old and unsettling to be around. Oh, okay. Um, even when you didn't know he was a vampire. Mm. but I should reread that because I, I forget a lot of it it's been 10 years so
1: yeah and that's what really I I feel like a lot of vampire movies today probably take after more of Christopher Lee's uh, version of the uh, of Dracula versus uh maybe the original concept of a vampire I think so too I
0: think he had a bigger influence than uh some people might realize yeah yeah that's crazy um so yeah let's see what else we talked about how it was shocking to people at the time it was given an x rating by the british board of film classification at the time no way why because of the blood or uh, i think the the blood and the sexuality the sexuality (laughs) (laughs) all right i would guess mostly the blood and like the stake through the heart scenes and stuff yeah okay Uh, it's got a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 90, a user score of 81. The budget at the time was 81,000 pounds. I have no idea what that was in dollars (laughs) and the box office was 3.5 million worldwide. And that's about 34 million today. So, uh, it's not something that would blow the box office out of the water today, but the box office was just different back then. It's kind of apples to oranges. So yeah. Hard to
1: compare. It was 3.5 million pounds or dollars. Dollars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: So, I mean, it was considered a worldwide hit.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty uh, well uh, or widespread acclaim, and uh, I think it's uh, listed as like one of the six. I, I think Time or someone put it as like the sixty fifth best British film ever. Which mm, all right, yeah, raised an eyebrow for me, but yeah, surprising. <laughs> <laughs>
0: cool. I think we'll talk a lot in the review just how how you put this, I think that's why I like to cover these too. Like, how do you put a 1950s movie through your brain filters? How do you categorize (laughs) it now as somebody in 2022 who was born in the eighties? Yeah, yeah, Uh, I know. It's just an interesting exercise.
1: It really is, yeah. Yeah, it really is. But uh, yeah, so so interesting to hear like this was such a a shocking thing back then and um, the sexuality component, that's hilarious. Um, Do you think we have studios today similar to hammer studios where it sounds like what brought them down eventually was the saturation of horror films on the market and um people just not like being into it anymore i wonder if like A Twenty Four or blumhouse have like a similar fate ahead for them like are they just bringing, putting too much out or like hitting a genre too hard where like maybe in 5-10 years from now people are going to be over it that's a really good question, and maybe that's why A24,
0: you know, everyone thinks of them as the slow burn, dread, misery porn type stuff, but they've always kind of peppered in a lot more playful releases. We saw X this year, which was a straight up slasher, a little bit of comedy to it. Yeah, they're doing bodies, bodies, bodies. Right? Yeah, but you know, they did Tusk, they did Slice, which was a flop, but it was an attempt at a horror comedy. Oh, I forgot uh, they did Slice.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. 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 So
0: I feel like they've been poking around in other, other genres. But yeah, I think maybe that's part of the strategy to stay a little bit diversified. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess you have to. And they're not releasing exclusively horror horror films either, right? Like I'm pretty sure they did Lady Bird, if I'm remembering correctly.
1: That's true. So, and there's like some like movie about a seashell that's out right now, which right, Marcel the Shell. Yeah. I don't. Are you, you going to see that one? Probably not. No. Okay, yeah, I don't think so either. But Blumhouse is probably the most
0: ample comparison. You know, Blumhouse is specifically horror, and uh, yeah, you could even say they have a reputation for certain types of movies, so...
1: Yeah, I feel like they're pretty consistent, in their quality isn't, like, goes the highest either, so yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good comparison. I have a feeling, like, yeah, not only was
0: there increased competition for Hammer, but... I kind of get the impression they weren't really keeping up with the times. Like, they are releasing, and it's a movie I haven't seen, so I always have to be careful about judging a book by its cover, but, you know, they're releasing The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires in 1974. The Exorcist came out in 1973, you know? Like... Taste the blood of Dracula in 1970. How does that stack up to like The Exorcist or I mean, uh, Rosemary's Baby, which came two years earlier? Like, I, horror was getting edgier and darker and taking more risks. And I just don't know that there's a place for these gothic monster movies anymore. Um, at least not at the pace that Hammer was releasing.
1: Them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. I think people are shifting their tastes and they were still stuck on the franchises. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That's would my you, theory at least. I think you're right. And would you call them, uh, I, th- I think they're like known for being pretty campy as well, right?
0: Hmm. I think some of the sequels get a bit more campy.
1: Okay. Yeah, they also dabble a more in
0: sexuality as, as they got into the like free love in the sixties <laughs> and seventies. Interesting. More so than, <laughs> than this film. I know that <laughs> you're hearing me say that and thinking, okay, if Christopher Lee's a sexual vampire then what, but yeah. like, uh, I saw one from them called Vampire Circus that had like quite a bit of nudity in it. Oh, Um, okay. Some, some intimate scenes. They, they have some lesbian vampire movies under their belt as well. No kidding. These
1: guys do? Uh, Oh, Hammer does.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm shocked. Yeah. So you can, I can hear you scribbling on your watch list right now. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) I'm actually watching it on the side of this podcast. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so As I run through the plot, we know what Ashwin's watching. Yeah, exactly. Watching. <laughs> Don't mind me over here. <laughs> uh, okay, man. Do you have any other background you'd like to hit or should we hit the Ohio Connection next? Uh, no, let's do the Ohio Connection. All right. As usual, our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. If you're in Northeast Ohio, you got to swing by Jukebox. Delicious food, delicious beer, great patio to check out while the weather is still nice. Alex says, Horror of Dracula is a gothic horror film based on Bram Stoker's... Man, I never know if it's Bram or Bram. I think it's Bram. I think his full name's Abraham. Is it? I think so, yeah. But okay, I then it would be Bram. Bram, yep. Bram Stoker's 1897 novel of the same title and is the first in the series of Hammer horror films starring Christopher Lee as Count Dracula. The film received its world premiere in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 8, 1958. It played as a double feature with the film The Thing That Couldn't Die, scored by famed American composer Henry Mancini. Mancini is regarded by many as one of the greatest composers in the history of film, having won four Academy Awards, a Golden Globe, 20 Grammy Awards, plus a posthumous Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1995. Henry Mancini was born in the Little Ni- Little Italy neighborhood located in Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. Awesome. Wow. That guy was huge. I think the most surprising thing about this connection is that a British horror film... <laughs> yeah. It opens. had its world premiere <laughs> in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
1: I know. I, I couldn't believe that. Like, why? Why not like L.A. or something? Why Why Milwaukee? Was Milwaukee the L.A. of the U.S. in uh, 1958? It may have been, man. You know, so
0: many of the cities in the Great Lakes and uh, Rust Belt areas were so much more booming back then. And, yeah. uh, n- you know, at, by the time we were
1: born, things had kind of faded away. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It <laughs> gives a whole new light on Milwaukee. That's wild. it's right <laughs> world premieres of such big films yeah and a British film that, that doesn't make any sense either <laughs> it's wild mm-hmm. all right man
0: well let's uh, walk through the pot, plot and uh, and spoil some stuff but do you mind if I just uh, call you back in like an hour I've got an appointment to go donate some blood oh sure yeah no
1: go for it all right I'll be right back all right
0: All right, man. I'm back. Hey, how did it go? It went really well. Um, strangely, they told me the best thing for me to do to restore myself after that is to drink a big glass of wine. So,
1: <laughs> I, Can you
0: believe that? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it's because it's red, so it helps uh, replace your blood or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's the science behind that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, man, that was, that was an interesting scene. They, they made a big production out of that scene in this film. I mean,
0: that was like the catalyst to figuring out, like that led us to the entire conclusion was the recommendation of drinking red wine after giving blood. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wait, it, it actually did have a big plot, in fact? Yeah, it did. Well, yeah, we'll get there. Okay. All right. I must miss something. Let's do it. Uh In
0: 1885, Jonathan Harker arrives at Count Dracula's estate, his castle, In the book, Harker is there to close a real estate deal, but in the film, he's being hired by Dracula as his own personal librarian. But we learn that Harker's actually a vampire hunter who intends to kill Dracula. We learn this through Harker's journaling. There's a woman in the castle who's approached Jonathan Harker a couple of times, insisting that she's a prisoner of Dracula, and she begs to be saved. However, when she gets close to Harker, she attempts to bite his neck Dracula himself enters the room in vampire form with his uh, red eyes and, and his pointy fangs, and he chases the woman away and engages in a fight with Harker, which leaves Harker unconscious.
1: I think Christopher Lee looks fairly creepy in the makeup. What do mm-hmm. you think? Yeah, I actually loved uh, the introduction of his character and uh, the cape. The cape, I think, adds a great effect. The way he like moves, it almost looks like he's gliding up the stairs and like through the doors. It's like when they first meet. Like I, I love his character there. And then in this like attack scene that you're talking about, yeah, the, the, the makeup's effective and uh, yeah, it works for the fifties. I agree. I agree. Were you shopping for capes online today? After you know, <laughs> in <sharing this movie? laughs> all black attire. I, I, yeah, I'm kind of convinced, man. Like, uh, there's something we're missing there. I feel like you need the stature though to pull it off. Like, you got to be pretty tall. I, I, feel like there's like a minimum height requirement on capes. What, what do you think? I agree.
0: I agree. I feel like uh, somebody our size wearing a cape just looks like a kid pretending to be a superhero.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a a really fine line there, which is easy to go wrong on. Chris really six five, so. Uh, oh damn! Yeah, yeah I, th- yeah. I thought he looks pretty, pretty imposing there. What, what, what did What you think of his like on screen presence? I think so too. I really, I like his on screen presence, and I, I think the makeup is done really well. I also think he's like a pretty nice guy. Like, uh, like yeah, his interaction with this librarian dude is pretty friendly. Uh, he seems like pretty professional. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't have too many qualms about him. All right, cool. And. He's not the one that, that attacks uh, this guy, right? I mean, he kind of saves him in a way because the guy gets bitten by the woman, I believe.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he legitimately wanted a librarian, and he didn't want his librarian to go away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so Although, far, I guess he could have a fellow vampire as a librarian. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I guess he could. I wonder what his long-term plan was there.
1: Yeah. I, I, why... Yeah, I guess. Was that a thing like rich people had back then? It was just like a bunch of books and you hire a librarian to maintain them? Like what's what's the day-to-day job of a librarian? Yeah, right? Like if you're not having
0: customers come check out books, it seems like (laughs) maybe it was just like a one-time thing to
1: like get everything organized. Oh, okay, okay. And we're led to believe like Dracula like reads a lot at night, like when he's awake.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess so.
1: Okay, cool. He's been alive for years. He's probably pretty bored. Yeah, right. Just needs to pop on some fiction. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I thought it was pretty effective. And, you know, your, your comments in the front about the sexuality of this film, uh, I do notice, like, there's uh, a good amount of cleavage here. I wonder if that was sensational for this time? I think so. Yeah, it's pretty bosom forward. Okay, so is, is that where you think, like, some of the... Uh, yeah, like the x rating comes from this. I think <laughs> in the amount of time that we spend with like lips right up near necks,
0: and there's this scene later where Christopher Lee bites somebody, and it's fairly sexual. He's kind of like running his lips all over their face and stuff. Okay, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, the eroticness is there, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so let's see. The next morning, Harker wakes up from being knocked unconscious during this fight. And he's got bite marks on his neck. He writes one last entry in his journal describing what has happened and saying that he's doomed. And his final acts are to hide his journal outside the castle and attempt to run a stake through the heart of the vampires in their sleep, both the woman and Christopher Lee. Uh, He discovers them in an underground crypt, and he runs the woman vampire through first. She turns into an old woman when he does this and then dies. But unfortunately, her screams wake Dracula from his slumber, and he escapes the crypt and closes the door, trapping Harker inside.
1: Dude. Seemed like a bad move to kill her first. There were so many bad moves here. Like, can can you believe this guy? Like, on his first night, he compromises himself and gets bit. And like, so his whole plan's like, got to shit already. And then he goes and kills the wrong vampire first. Like after he's like <laughs> been hunting down the other one for like years or whatever. Like, like, were you on board with this? No, I mean, that was pretty stupid. It, it was two counts of stupidity. It was like, what were you doing the first night? Also, like, why are you writing the shit down? Like someone could find that book, open it and like your plots like revealed. It's just, he was like, uh, off on like so many counts here. Right. Yeah. You're in like somebody else's house. You know that they roam around at night while you're sleeping. Yeah, It's all pretty stupid. Yeah. So stupid. And then you're telling them like, oh, and I'm engaged to this fiance. Oh, let me tell tell you her name and like about her, uh, my (laughs) loved ones. Like this just didn't make any sense to me, man. Do you remember that scene in family guy where Peter gives,
0: uh, I think it's like a killer or a serial killer a picture of chris and he's like oh this picture's all ruined it's got his address and a list of his fears on the back <laughs>
1: no <laughs> i don't remember that but that sounds that's exactly what this dude did basically pretty much pretty much yeah yeah and then he botches off the whole operation which is wow pretty bad
0: <laughs> um so van helsing uh wait a minute where, where's my place so a few days later Fellow vampire hunter, Dr. Van Helsing, played by Peter Cushing, arrives at the castle to see what has become of his friend Harker. A server at the local pub gives him Harker's journal, which she found at the crossroads near Castle Dracula, and this is how Van Helsing learns of the fate that Harker has met. He goes to the castle, enters the crypt, and runs a stake through his friend Harker's heart, because he is now a vampire, but Dracula is nowhere to be found. Then Helsing returns to the home of Arthur Homewood, his wife Mina, and Arthur's sister Lucy, who is Harker's fiance, to tell them all that Harker has died. Um, but Arthur and Mina decide to not break the news to Harker's fiance Lucy because she has recently taken ill, and they feel like this is just not the right time to give her this horrible news. The audience learns that her illness is due to the fact that she's been bitten by Dracula, and. In short order, Van Helsing realizes this as well, and he Mm. instructs the family to keep her windows shut and surround the bedroom with garlic. But Lucy begs the maid to get rid of the garlic, and the maid gives in because it's clear the garlic is making Lucy even more ill, and unfortunately that night Lucy dies because she's not guarded by the garlic, and Christopher Lee comes in to take his final drink of blood.
1: On that first scene where we see Lucy and uh, Christopher Lee, do you get the feeling uh, or the sense that, like, she was welcoming him into her room? Because she, like, opens the window and, like, lies on the bed and kind of, like, uh, I don't know, like, it's like she's waiting for him almost.
0: Yes, and that was the way that Terrence Fisher directed in the women in the film to act. Hmm he was seeing this as symbolism of women who were not sexually satisfied in their m- marriages or relationships being seduced by Dracula. Right. So even though to us, we're like, this isn't really that sexual of a film. <laughs> everyone who was working on it knew that that's what they were doing. Uh, um, okay. And even Christopher Lee has, a uh, He has some quotes that don't necessarily age well. (laughs) One of them is, women are attracted to men for any number of reasons. One of them is a response to the demand to give oneself. And what greater evidence of giving is there than your blood flowing literally from your own bloodstream? It's the complete abandonment of a woman to the power of a man. Yeah, I wrote that one down too. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna use that one later. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you hate to like, uh, yeah. shame a guy who said something in the 50s but yeah uh yeah it doesn't age well but i mean it illustrates the the underlying sexuality that they all were seeing uh when making this movie He he says of himself that his greatest contribution to the dracula myth was to bring out the underlying sexual element in the story
1: yeah okay Interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, what we are seeing here is like women basically offering themselves up or falling under his thing, which I mean, we, we do see in later films, like in the eighties, like fright night and stuff, like the idea of vampires and, uh, ha- having that ability to like hypnotize and capture people. Right. But, uh, yeah. I, I, so, so this is kind of like where we're seeing that initially, huh? Perhaps
0: initially. Yeah. There may have been another film to do it before, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I think probably this was the most influential. And yeah, it's easy to look back on other horror vampire films we've seen and think of vampirism as mm, temptation and temptation of adultery.
1: Yeah. Interesting. You didn't, you didn't see a lot of women uh, giving themselves over to Nosferatu. I don't think he had the same appeal, did he? <laughs> <laughs> God, God love me, tried. <laughs> yeah. For Poor he guy. was not blessed with good looks. Yeah, yeah. He's like Christopher Lee. Uh, and I, I'm
0: uh, sorry. I misquoted... I. Um, saying my greatest contribution was the underlying sexual element. That was a Terence Fisher quote. That was the director.
1: Oh, okay, okay. So that was like what he intended. Think, yes. really, yeah, yeah, and then Yeah, and he that. said
0: Dracula preyed upon the sexual frustrations of his woman victims. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, which yeah, like you said, you can see it in the acting. They're like welcoming him into their their boudoirs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Andy, you know, this movie's called like the horror of Dracula, but, um, yeah, like I feel like that scene where we see him come in, like show up at the window, uh, I guess she's like kind of apprehensive, but I don't, I wouldn't say it's like too scary. Like, did, did, did you think so?
0: No, no, I don't think there's much in this film that's super scary. Yeah. Um, right. I think we're the scariest scene is coming up okay. for me at least. Okay. Um, So let's see, Lucy's brother, Archer, is starting to get suspicious of Van Helsing. So Van Helsing shares Harker's journal with Arthur to convince him, like, hey, this is what's going on. So Arthur is now on Team Vampire Hunter, and the two of them plot on how they can destroy Dracula once and for all. An undead Lucy returns to the home and tries to escort the maid's daughter to the graveyard under the guise that they're going to play a fun game. Luckily, Van Helsing and Arthur arrive at the graveyard just in time, and Van Helsing thwarts her with a cross and eventually runs a stake through her heart, at which point her brother Arthur sees that she is now at peace. And I think Lucy as a
1: vampire is actually kind of the creepiest part of the movie. Did I agree, you? man. Yeah. yeah, I thought her with the kid and the way she was talking to this kid and, like, luring the kid in that, that was, like, way creepier than anything else in this film. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and, you know,
0: everyone talks about Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, but, uh, and shit, I'm. Um, following right in that path because I did not put down the name of the actress that put played Lucy, but she gave a good performance, especially in this moment. Like,
1: yeah, I legitimately think she's the scariest part of the movie. Yeah. And I, I think it's because, uh, it's kind of snuck in. Like you don't expect to see like a, a ghost of like a dead woman, just like randomly show up and like try to bait this kid to like hang out with her. That's yes. uh, it just kind of hits you by surprise.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Um, so let's see. Arthur and Van Helsing decide to leave the home to track down Dracula. Um, and while they're gone, Mina, Lucy's sister-in-law, gets an odd message that she's to meet Arthur somewhere. So when the guys and Mina all return home, they've all been separate now, they decide that Mina might be Dracula's next target. So they hand her across to protect herself But when they hand her the cross, it burns her hands, and they realize that Dracula has already begun to transform her. But the transformation is still early on in this progression, so uh, she's only got early onset vampirism, essentially. They attempt to help her by giving her some of Arthur's blood. And after the procedure, Van Helsing suggests that Arthur restore himself by drinking some wine. (laughs) And he asks the maid to fetch some from the cellar. And then the maid says, "Mina has forbade me from going down there," and this is when Van Helsing has his light bulb moment—that Mina knows Van Hel- that Dracula is down there.
1: Oh, and she's protecting him.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. right. Again, you know, the welcoming of this adulterous force and, and right. inviting him into their lives.
1: Right. Interesting.
0: Um. So yeah, the light bulb goes off in Van Helsing's brain. He realizes that Dracula is in the cellar. He runs down there, discovers Dracula's empty coffin and sees Dracula escaping with Mina back to his castle. Arthur and Van Helsing pursue him there. They find Dracula trying to bury Mina alive
1: outside the castle. Do you understand that? Uh yeah, I thought that was cuz like the sun was coming up and uh Oh. But yeah. I guess he could have just got taken her into the basement too. I don't know why uh, he'd have to bury her but
0: Yeah. Right? I mean, there's two coffins down there, so what's faster, like, (laughs) heading the the other, like, 100 yards to the basement or digging a human-sized hole?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. No, yeah, I don't
0: know why he was doing that. Yeah, I know sometimes if I'm, like, out on a walk late at night and it's starting to get dark, I'll just... (laughs) dig a hole
1: (laughs) better start digging Uh, I got (laughs) two more
0: blocks till I'm home I better just dig an entire hole the size of my body yeah
1: gonna need a place to camp out tonight (laughs) yeah yeah I know that's that's some that's always an inconvenience (laughs) (laughs) so they pursue
0: Dracula inside the castle where Van Helsing pulls down some curtains to let the sunlight in and forces Dracula into the sunlight by using two candlesticks as a makeshift cross and we watch as Dracula's body slowly disintegrates into dust. And that is the end of the film. Uh, I don't think it looked too bad when he kind of disintegrated. What did you think?
1: I agree, man. I, I appreciated it. It was, it was cool because like, throughout the whole movie, I don't think we got too many special effects or anything. So seeing that at the end, I, I appreciated that. Pretty artistic. I agree. I liked it. I thought it looked really good for
0: 1958. Yeah, good practical effects. Pretty neat. I would have to verify this and do some digging. But I feel like Peter Cushing may have uh set the uh set a trope for future vampire media too. He was sick of pulling out random crucifixes out of his pockets in the movie, which mm-hmm. I can't blame him because it he does do it a lot. Yeah. And he's got a quote where he's like, What am I, a crucifix salesman? <laughs> so he asked if he could do something different, and that's where the double candlestick thing came from. Like oh. taking two objects that aren't across and making them across
1: I didn't know that
0: works like uh you've seen that in other films since I've seen it in other films since and like even uh, I'm trying to I can't think of any specific examples but even on accident a vampire will approach some piece of furniture or like architecture that's accidentally across and it's like ah. (laughs) Um, so I wonder if Peter Cushing started that whole thing
1: yeah that's so interesting you think, like just because he was sick of pulling crucifixes out of yeah, his pocket. Know, like a salesman. That's interesting. Like so, like if a vampire is like writing a letter and they accidentally like use a letter T, they might like get hurt for a second. <laughs> like ah oh, shit, <laughs> I wrote the word that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like that, that part kind of struck me as odd that you could just make a T out of anything and, and it hurts them. But that's uh, interesting. It ties back to this. <laughs> can you imagine that's fuck man that's why he
0: wanted a librarian oh yeah i can't look at the word that uh, and like have <laughs> these books
1: yeah can you just read them aloud to me yeah i'll tell you where they go just read me the title <laughs> but don't show them to me <laughs>
0: <laughs> only read me uh i can read the words that have capital t's yeah exactly <laughs> oh man that's hilarious! Uh, I need you to rewrite all these books all in caps. <laughs> yeah,
1: capital letters only. <laughs> oh my god, uh, uh, that's that's really funny. What, what, what you do you think? Oh, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the the high speed uh, buggy chase. Uh, did you find that funny? Fastest buggy chase I've ever seen. I know. I don't think I've seen one of those on film. Um, the, w- did you find it funny when, uh, Dracula like popped his head in when he finds like his co- his coffin in the basement and he like pops his head in and realizes he's been caught and then like locks the door. <laughs> yeah. He's like, whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that. I thought that was like a funny, uh, I, yeah, there was like some humor in this film, right? I don't know if it was purposeful or accidental. Like you, you had the toll booth guy who was like getting pissed that everyone was breaking through his gates. Oh yeah, that was purposeful humor. That's true. Yeah, and you don't think like this—that scene where like they see each other like in the lair by accident is humor. I guess it wouldn't be humor. Yeah, I don't think that was humor
0: yeah. intended.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I thought it was like a Scooby Doo moment.
0: It's kind of like that GIF where the toddler walks into the room and like turns around and walks right back out. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. That's
0: that's pretty like, much. Oh funny. shit. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you feel about this sexier Dracula, um, in compared to like the monstrous
1: Nosferatu? Uh, yeah, I gotta say, I, I think I prefer the Nosferatu, a lot creepier, a lot more like foreboding, um, more mysterious, you don't know what's going to happen, more like a creature, less like human. So I, I, I do think like a uh, Nosferatu had more of a, um, a scariness to it than, this one, like this one, yeah, just kind of just felt like uh, he was like some character out of like a, a romantic novel or something. What, what about you? What do you think? I agree. I like a Nosferatu
0: style depiction better, but I'm also glad we have both. I'm glad this legacy exists, so you can have like a seductive neighbor in Fright Night from the 80s and Fright Night 2011. Like mm. that's an interesting take on it too. Um, yeah, like a seductive, mysterious, danger lurking format rather than holy shit this person like gives me the chills just to be around so yeah I'm kind of glad we have both styles
1: yeah I think I think you're right and um have you seen a girl walks home alone at night yes I have I think that one really plays up that angle as well like that what we saw here in Dracula um and yeah yeah you're right I, I feel like that has like a whole different type of scariness and manipulative Ness behind it, which uh, yeah, you're right when like used effectively can be pretty horrific Do you you think it was used to like effectively here though? You know,
0: I wish that Christopher Lee he I mean, he's like the face of this movie and yeah one of the seven best horror characters of all time or something uh, According to
1: Empire, but he's really not in the movie much at all right barely in the movie like what how many how many lines of dialogue does he have like three at the beginning when he's talking to the librarian does he ever talk yes. after that right yeah sadly like three or four it's it's a bummer and I mean if he's
0: bummed that the sequels give him even less uh, lines then yeah I get it um, it, it, it kind of sucks um, and he bemoaned the fact that they weren't being more faithful to the book and bringing some of what made the book great to the screen mm-hmm and I agree, and I'm sure that I'm not sure that they've made a movie that really does that, like an adaptation of the novel that really does what the novel did. Like, honestly, the one from the '90s maybe comes closest. Um,
1: oh, but Bram yeah, Stoker- try- I, I got to see fantastic.
0: more vampire movies to to fully answer that question.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm shocked because, like, the title here is so, like, off of what you actually see. It's called, like, The Horror of Dracula, but we see so little of him. He's got very little lines, very few, like, suspenseful scenes of him, like, creeping up on people. Um, I feel like most of the time we're with Van Helsing and and the other dude trying to hunt this guy down. Um, So, uh, yeah, really disturbing. And and so in the book, you definitely do get a lot more Dracula or, like, more dialogue from him.
0: Yes. Yep. And it's just... It's scarier and more action-packed at the same time. Yeah, I I could really see like Mike Flanagan turning the novel into a successful miniseries for Netflix or something like that. Oh, like, interesting. You don't need all that time, but you could you could take all that time if you really wanted to.
1: Yeah, you know you should check out uh, Midnight Mass because that's kind of about vampires, and yeah, well, I, now like I'm, i I wonder if like that's like somewhat loosely inspired by this um but yeah i think you're right like in his hands like you could tell a great story here with this character yeah
0: i'll have to check that out you know i feel like i read or heard something once that there was a vampire novel the far less renowned around the time of um bram stoker's dracula that did take the approach of a sexy vampire oh Um, okay so yeah i'd be interested to seek that out um yeah and even seek out whether or not i'm right about that but i could have sworn i read that once Okay, got it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. Horror of Dracula is not necessarily the most uh, meaningful title. It doesn't translate to what you see in the movie. I feel Mm -hmm. like the competence of Van Helsing (laughs) would be a better title. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. I wish, you know, I, I liked that aspect of the movie. I, th- I thought it was cool to have like the setup where you're a doctor, you're chasing down someone and he almost treated Dracula as like some kind of disease or addiction or some kind of affliction that people get. And he's like trying to medically approach it in some ways. Uh, so I, I kind of like that science based approach loosely, but w- what did you think? I
0: agree, man. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like Peter Cushing is just like, he's one like dignified son of a bitch like he he's is. just suave and handsome and like this old-timey charm yeah i really dig him he's he's my favorite part of the hammer films that i've seen yeah yeah yeah. No, he's great uh in he's Franken- just like
1: that classic character that's got it all together yeah no he's awesome he's top game he uh in frankenstein he was dr frankenstein right correct yeah 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 he's awesome Uh, yeah, yeah. And he does a great job like carrying this film, but it's like, yeah, you do want to see Dracula more potentially. Yes. Yeah.
0: And as you said, Van Helsing does say he equates vampirism. He says it's similar to an addiction to drugs. Right. I think that parallel has been made throughout the entire subtext of some future vampire movies, right? Future from, you know, 1958
1: forwards. Oh man. Like which, uh, anything come to mind, like Lost Boys or something or? What do you What do you think? Yeah, and bliss specifically. Oh right, which I'm still not convinced she was a vampire, but yeah. <laughs> I, right. There's also a very
0: prominent or a vampire film in which that theme is very prominent, from what I understand, called The Addiction from 1995. Oh, Okay. I haven't seen it though, but when I don't know. Also, back to our conversation at the top of this and digging into history, the more you learn, the more you want to learn. You know, so like. I feel like I've seen enough vampire movies, but then when we think about this movie and its influence on the subgenre, it makes me feel I need to watch a lot more to fully understand everything.
1: Yeah, I feel like there are a ton, uh like near dark and stuff that we still need to catch up on.
0: Yeah, I've seen so. that one, but we, we probably oh. need to cover that on the show. That and Friday night I think are too
1: big. Yeah. Honestly, we haven't covered that Friday night or The Lost Boys. Whoa, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we got some uh, some co- movies to cover there. What are some elements of the film that felt specifically dated to you? Oh, um, I mean, I think the interactions across the movie between men and women, you can tell are, are very, uh, I mean, to what you were saying earlier, like it's all about like the power of the man. Uh, and you, you can kind of see that in the relationships um, that play out there. Um, otherwise, oh, the whole concept of uh, donating blood. Like, I feel like they made a big production out of the scene where uh, he gives blood to his wife. And I don't know if, like, that was supposed to be something really cool to see back then and that, that they wanted to show. Um, but, yeah, I feel like those kind of jump out as some of the things that... Oh, and I, I think the biggest thing uh, is that all these scenes, like, there's so much lighting. Like, and it kind of makes you realize that back then they couldn't really shoot scenes in the dark, which play a big role in in horror films making them feel very scary and suspenseful so uh seeing that technique not uh lost here i think pulls away from a lot of the scariness but right yeah what, what about you
0: agreed yeah and i would echo your the dynamics between men and women there's a scene where van helsing gives the maid the old uh smack to the face to smack some sense into her when she's oh yeah in hysterics <laughs> yeah like, you know grab them by the shoulders yep. shake
1: them a bit and then a smack Right, right. Yeah, being hysterical is something or yeah. The whole damsel yeah. in distress kind of thing.
0: Yes, exactly. Right. And then I think some dated elements of films from this time period are fight scenes. Mm-hmm. It's like fight scenes without a single edit, filmed as long shots so you see them like their whole body just shuffling around on a floor and there's it's just like not as dynamic or kinetic as a fight scene today, so it's just yeah. like, oh man, this
1: is just I might as well be watching a play. (laughs) This is like the final battle scene between Van Helsing and, uh, and, and Dracula?
0: That, actually, that one was pretty good. You know, the set was involved. He runs across the table and jumps onto the curtains. He haphazardly grabs whatever he can that's closest to him, the candlesticks. I'm thinking more of the scene when the woman goes to bite harker in the first place and then harker and dracula have a scuffle
1: oh right right
0: yeah it's just like so boring (laughs) yeah
1: yeah you can tell it's pretty fake too Uh,
0: yeah and i mean it was much harder to have multiple cameras on set it was harder to get those cameras into many different places to get a whole bunch of different angles and it was harder to edit films you had to literally cut and tape them so there's just less cuts a less variety Less variety of shots. There's way more long shots where you get a full body or multiple bodies in the scene. There mm-hmm. are close ups, but they're fewer and farther between than modern movies. And I feel like you get a lot less of like a mid shot where somebody's, you know, torso, waist up, you know. So oh, there's yeah. just less of a dynamic of this movement in yeah. the movie where you're just moving from shot to shot that feels like it keeps things flowing. It's right. a very very static yep. feeling yeah um, which
1: do you think that's because of like the camera technology back then where you just kind of like stood a camera on like a stand versus have like all the dynamic equipment you have today
0: yeah i think it's technology uh i also think it is just a natural evolution too if you jumped from plays to what we have today people would be like well, what the fuck am i watching like what what does this even mean? It's just a collection of images. Like, the language of cinema was still developing. I mean, it was oh, pretty yeah. fleshed out at this point in the mid-50s, but I think it's a little bit of... Primarily, technology is probably the biggest reason, but also yeah. you're still coming from the world of theater and plays, and that's we're still evolving away from that mindset. Sure.
1: Yeah. Now that makes sense.
0: I would guess. I, I, would, I was born in 1983, so I'm just... <laughs> Trying to sound smart here.
1: Yeah, no, no. I think you're right. I think if you see a lot of the movies from this era, you're going to see like similar type of camera work, like the whole idea of like handheld or like a uh, more intimate shots or like interesting cuts probably didn't come out till a few decades later, maybe. Yes, for sure. I also though feel like that makes these movies really quiet and easy to watch and kind of relaxing. Is that no. crazy? No, no. Yeah, I think you're right. Like they have more space or like, yeah, there's, there's more kind of steadiness. Yeah. Yeah. Through my pursuit of the,
0: um, nerd nubometer, I have seen, I think six hammer horror films and I give them all like the same rating and they're all just like fine. They're good, yeah. but I like watching them. It's just like, I can kind of check out. You don't need to pay close attention. Yeah. <laughs> If you miss something, it doesn't really matter all that much. Yeah. Uh, It's just the aesthetic. Uh, The aesthetic, yeah. It's kind of calming and relaxing, but still has the horror trappings, the gothic trappings with graveyards and castles and whatnot. Right. Um, One thing I think they all have in common, and I'm interested in your take, is I think set design and location is really cool. What do you think?
1: I agree, man. I, I think they have to like rely on that. So like the castle here or like the rooms that were in the house where they were sleeping or like where the coffin was. Uh yeah, I, I think that that's like where they kinda go all out is the set design. Even like the score, like I feel like very orchestral and, and kind of big. So like what what they can't do with the camera, I think they make up through uh yeah, the set design, the outfits, the the, the yeah, the the design and everything. It's pretty pretty standoutish.
0: Right. Yeah, the production is very very professional. It's got a very specific aesthetic to it, like you said, all really well lit too. There's just something
1: kind of nice about it. I, I just they're likable movies. Yeah, yeah, they have a certain charm to them. I, I agree yes. that that's unique and that yeah, uh, you don't really see today. It's a, it's a, definitely of that era. Agreed. I think
0: for people who like these movies, I mean, largely it's probably an older crowd who saw these movies and they truly were shocked by them when they saw them yeah um but i also think for as many elements of this movie these movies hammer horror films and films from this time period that become dated i think the charm i think you hit the nail on the head with that word the charm maybe even grows stronger as the years go by
1: sure like a vintage appeal yes yeah that makes sense um, well, on and, that note, oh, oh go I, ahead. well, uh, the, the usage of like color and blood on this, like I love the opening credits cause it's, well, it fooled me cause I, I got, I was really uh, depressed that like, this is going to be a black and white film. And I, I was like kind of cursing your name. And then like the first color you see though was like this blood being spilled on like his coffin and it's like all bright red. So if we're talking about like camera and the technology back then, this was, uh, I mean, when did color hit film, like early fifties? I'm not sure
0: when the first color film was released, but, you know, there was a while before it became commonplace. And hmm. yeah, I think these were some of the first big releases, big release color horror
1: films. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh She was uh, Dr. Frankenstein or Frankenstein. That that wasn't uh, color. Was it? Uh, the Revenge of Frankenstein was in color. Yes. So that's the, that's well, one like creature
0: from the black lagoon yeah. in
1: 1954. I think that was black and white. If I'm not yeah, mistaken, yeah, I think that one was definitely black and white. Yeah, okay. So color was still like relatively new. So yeah, I, I think that's worth worth calling out that like, uh, yeah, from a color standpoint, like I wonder if like this was like kind of shocking to audiences to see like that red blood on screen, or even like the blood donation scene, like if that, those were all kind of like shocking moments.
0: I think it definitely was. Yeah, yeah and I mean the house on haunted hill was. uh a year after this and that was, that was in black and white.
1: Okay. So still like, uh, not like a universal adoption of color yet. Correct. Yeah. Mm. I want to okay.
0: say like even, I want to say the haunting was in the early sixties and I feel like that was in black and white, but I, mm. I can't be quoted on that one cause I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, yeah, it's cool to see some early color work going on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the, yeah, like the bright technicolor, like everything's just a little more vibrant than it is in
1: reality. Yeah. Yeah. I think that definitely adds to the vibe. For sure. Yep. Well, zero to five stakes through the heart. What do you give this movie? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got a lot of cool things about it and I, I hear you on the, uh, the vibe and like the authenticity and representation of the era, but to me, the story was just, uh, kind of dumb. And we didn't get enough of Dracula and that first dude, like just messing up the whole plot, like within like five minutes was ridiculous. So two and a half stakes to the hearts, uh, from me, uh, for, for some of those plot holes there. Uh, how about you? Not surprised and I can't be angry and it's kind of weirdly
0: validating because I know when we go back and watch these old movies, we always feel like, oh, uh, we're coming at it from a modern take and we just don't understand film. And yeah. You see so many of these movies get a giantly high rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone, You almost feel like people feel they have to appreciate the movie or force themselves to like it. hmm So it's kind of validating to hear Christopher Lee be like, a lot of the scripts were just kind of weak and they sucked. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I yeah. think he's right. Like, I like this movie I don't think it's a bad script but it's not great it's got its weaknesses characters make some dumb decisions Um, scares aren't utilized as well as they should be Mm -hmm. pacing's a little slow like I think of House on Haunted Hill which is a year after this and that movie holds up to me like it's an exciting fun ride yeah the writing is great on that one yeah it's easy to write off something that's like oh no but that was the time yeah then you look at other movies and you're like, well, people were still making really like taught, well-constructed movies at that time. It's just, uh, and I know that both those things can be true at the same time, but I, I think it's a legitimate to com- complaint to say this script is a little weak. Um, so I give it three out of five stakes through the heart. It is a boring, <laughs> slow <laughs> movie that really takes its time Especially, there are some scenes where it's just like Van Helsing's like cleaning up. <laughs>
1: you see it for <laughs> yeah. like a solid yeah. minute
0: before someone says a word. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, that's part of the charm for me. Like, I've discovered it's. I'm never more relaxed than I'm when I'm like, I'm just going to watch a horror movie from the 50s because yeah. it's just a whole new type of relaxation. I know I'm not. Truly going to be scared, probably won't be on the edge of my seat, but it's just kind of fun. <laughs> um, so I think I like the idea of the movie more than
1: I like the actual movie itself. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. It definitely has an appeal and it's it kind of reminds me of like fishing where, you, you know, uh, you're just going to like hang out, right? And you're, you're not there to like uh, to, uh, do anything interesting or exciting. But, exactly. Right. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. And yeah, it makes you realize like today how different movies are, like there can be like a lot more condensed or not so much space or like you're getting hit with plot points or dialogue uh, a lot more and you kind of get accustomed to that. So it's, it's refreshing to see this from time to time.
0: Right. So many movies today are just kind of like overstimulation. They just yeah. blindside you or like... With so much going on, you just get tired by even watching it. It's almost not yeah. a relaxing experience to sit and watch a movie. Right, right. So it's but, fun to watch something slower every once in a
1: while. Yeah, yeah. But also interesting to note that, like, probably in the fifties, when people watched this, this wasn't like a very slow film for them, right? This is probably right, exactly. Pretty suspenseful yeah. and scary. And-
0: right, and that's <laughs> where you have to do. You do have to take into account the time period and yeah, and realize that it was banking on the bigness of it. You know, it was banking on how shocked people would be from that last scene when it took its time with the next one. So
1: sure. Yeah. That's crazy. Amazing. Cool.
0: Well, anything else before we wrap up here? That's all I got. Cool. Well, that has been our discussion on horror of Dracula. Everybody. We hope you enjoy the show. If so, please give us a five-star rating on Apple podcasts or Spotify. That helps others find the show. If you want to connect with us, go to HorrorMovieClub.com, click on the social links, and you will find Twitter and Facebook where we announce what we're covering next week. You'll also find our Discord server link there, and you can just hop on and start chatting with a bunch of our listeners who love horror movies and are talking about them all the time. I'm on there too, chatting a bunch. If you want to support the show financially and gain access to bonus content, click the big orange button on HorrorMovieClub.com. That will take, us, take you to our Patreon page. Uh, Let's see. If you want some swag, just Google Horror Movie Club Coaster Set. That'll take you to Amy May Pop Art's Etsy site, and she's selling those coaster sets. If you enter the code of Movie Club, you'll get 15% off. She's also got tons of other great horror art on her Etsy shop, so check that out. Buy something there. Um, She does our cover art, so thank you to Amy. And let's see. I think until next time, if uh, you get the opportunity to kill Dracula and his mistress all at the same time, I'd start with Count Dracula first, and maybe even put something over his mouth to muffle his screams so you don't wake up the other sleeping vampire.
1: Hey, if he had killed Dracula first, would that have killed the mistress?
0: Oh, yeah, good question, right? you think yeah. you'd know that, too, as a vampire hunter. I know, I know. God, it's like the world's worst vampire hunter. He sucks. Yeah. You know, when they're asleep during the day, is it like a normal human sleep?
1: Like, are they out of commission, or could you wake them up if you, like, trip and knock something over? Uh, I assume they can be woken up, but they just can't, like, go out into the sunlight. Right, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see a movie where, like, the hero's
0: approaching a vampire to kill him, and it's clear that the vampire's dreaming.
1: <laughs> it's like... Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I'll have the report on you, just yeah. uh, that'd
1: be great,